here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, I want to go through a few examples, welcome by the way, welcome, of how the Democrat Party and their enablers and surrogates never give up, and how they use almost anything, even the criminal law. To try to acquire power, keep power, crush their enemies, crush their opponents even. Now why it's important for us really to start organizing and pushing back, as we are and we will. Let's start with this one. Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's, all it is is an ice cream that was started in Vermont by two radical kooks. And they sold their little ice cream stand. I know it's not an ice cream stand. To Unilever. And I want to read something to you. This is just one of several today. But it's nonstop. And this, is, this one's from the Jerusalem Post. Ben and Jerry's Israel boycott. A BDS game changer. Five reasons why. Boycott, divest, and sanction. Now, those of you who have the book, there's hundreds of thousands of you now who do have the book. If you look halfway into the last chapter on the action issues, We Choose Liberty, which is pushback, you'll see one of the first things I say is we need to use the BDS movement and tailor it to our purposes and use it against our enemies. Whether it's the teachers' unions, the media, or what have you. And they are our enemies given what they think about us, say about us, and want to do to our country. This isn't a game. This isn't a debate. Israel has long been the subject of boycotts and weathered more than one consumer battle. But the Ben and Jerry's boycott is not just one more routine showdown, okay? What now? What are they doing? What are they doing? Well, they're doing more. 
If Ben and Jerry's boycott of Israel was a flavor, it would be called BDS Game Changer. Why is it a game changer? It is not for nothing that the Palestine Solidarity Campaign was dramatic in its description of the victory for the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement announced yesterday. This is huge, they tweeted. The tide of history is turning, it exclaimed. So at first glance, it doesn't seem like one ice cream scoop, more or less, could be so significant in BDS's anti-Israel battle. I've told you many times, these Marxists are anti-Semites. They're anti-American. They're anti-democracy and republicanism. They're anti-capitalism and they're anti-Semites. First class, it doesn't seem like one ice cream scoop, more or less, could be so significant in BDS's anti-Israel battle, in which it uses the threat of boycotts to pressure the Jewish state to destroy its West Bank settlements and withdraw to pre-1967 lines, including in Jerusalem. So it's supposed to surrender Jerusalem. Even the Jerusalem Post can't call it right. It's not the West Bank. It's Judea and Samaria. It has biblical connotations. But what are they talking about? On a momentary level, the decision by Ben & Jerry's parent company, Unilever, U-N-I-L-E-V-E-R, not to renew the license of one of Israel's most popular ice cream brands after a 35-year run over sales to the settlements unjustly kills one man's business and leaves his employees out of work. But it hardly harms the economy. In a country with a growing ice cream industry, made up largely of local brands that won't even leave Israelis out in the cold when it comes to the creamy delicacy. Stay with me. So does it matter if the pint in an Israeli freezer says Golda, Aldo, or Strauss rather than Ben and Jerry's? Israel's long been the subject of boycotts, and it has weathered more than one consumer battle. But the Ben and Jerry's boycott, set to go in effect at the end of 2022, is not just one more routine showdown. As I've told you, and as you can read in American Marxism, these forces are always conniving, plotting, scheming to destroy, to compel. And they're always coming up with, how should we put it, new variants. New variants of their Marxist pandemic ideology. So let's listen to what they say here, because it's relevant to us. Number one, loving ice cream makes it easier to hate Israel. Hard to imagine that ice cream, of all things, could be dangerous. But its innocence is precisely what makes it so harmful. The cool dessert might melt easily in one mouth, or the countertop, but it makes a lasting impression on one's heart, and so will this boycott. Everyone loves ice cream. It brings to mind birthday parties and childhood summertime fun, with long days on the beach and in the park. If an ice cream company, of all things, takes the trouble to brand a country as so problematic that it must be deprived of something so natural and good, then the easy presumption is that such a nation must truly be evil. It's the kind of immediate branding that is difficult to do with other products, such as investment companies, tractors, soda stream, which was a specialty market, that the company in question is Ben & Jerry's, which is well known and has a history of standing up for social justice, only underscores that message. Number two, it boosts BDS after Abraham Accords defeat. The Abraham Accords brokered by former U.S. President Donald Trump had helped take the wind out of the BDS sales. The deal under whose rubric rubric Israel was able to normalize ties with four Arab nations, 
despite the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, made it difficult to continue to argue for boycotts against Israel. If the United Arab Emirates was creating business opportunities with Israel, why would companies in the U.S. and Europe fail to do so? UAA businesses even signed deals to import products from the settlements, such as wine, honey, and olive oil. Until this week, it's almost seemed as if the BDS movement had become passe. Now it's been revived. Thanks to Ben and Jerry's, and I'll get to that. Again, these are learning moments. That's why I want to go through this. If I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Boycott targets Israel within the Green Line. Ben and Jerry's boycott targets a company that is not located in a West Bank settlement or in a Jewish neighborhood of East Jerusalem. The Israeli ice cream factory is situated in Bar Artavia, in the south between uh, Escalon and Ashkad, relying heavily on milk products and employees from that region. It does not operate any ice cream stores over the pre-1967 lines. So the only thing that ties it to the West Bank, also known as Judea and Samaria, what kind of newspaper is this Jerusalem Post? Is it sales to individuals or vendors, such as supermarkets and gas stations, will then stock the ice cream on its shelves? So what does that mean? Ben and Jerry's actions set a precedent that differs from many past boycotts that have made headlines, which have often focused on products produced in Judea and Samaria or used by the IDF. The Pascot Winery, located in Sha'ar bin Yamin Industrial Park of the West Bank's Area C, fought for the right to be labeled made in Israel, even though it was located outside its sovereign territory. So what does this mean? The boycott criteria set by Ben and Jerry's would make any Israeli or foreign company that helps stock a supermarket with those products susceptible to boycott, in other words, that sells, that even sells into Judea and Samaria, to supermarkets, to ice cream parlors or anything, would be subject to boycotts. So they want to cut off and starve to the extent they're able to. The people who live in their homeland. Even the European Union doesn't ban the sale of its products to settlements. One need only wander into a grocery store and look at the number of franchise labels based on foreign global companies to understand the gravity of the situation. What's next? Heinz ketchup? Hellman's mayonnaise? Even the newly imported Starbucks coffee that has suddenly graced the supermarket shelves? Ben and Jerry's independent board of directors has argued that its intention was to boycott Israel and that it opposed the decision parent company Unilever and the Ben and Jerry CEO to limit the boycott solely to occupied Palestinian territory, quote unquote. Yeah, occupied Palestinian territory. Now, there are groups in the United States that support this, groups called J Street and others, that have sort of a Jewish facade. They have enough Jews, they're bored of Jews, they have spokesmen who are Jews, but they're self-hating Jews, obviously. And organizations like it. And all groups have groups like this. But my point isn't that. My point is, These people, the Marxists and their ilk, the anti-Semites, the anti-Americans, they are constantly trying to develop ways to destroy. They never build how to attack. That's what they do. 
And this is why I say in that chapter, we need our own BDS movement. Except our BDS movement will be a righteous movement. It will not attack ethnicities, it will not attack religions, it will not attack peoples based on their physical characteristics or anything of the kind. It will attack entities. By attack I mean by law, by administrative action, by all sorts of activities that are peaceful and legitimate. Those entities that seek to destroy our public schools, like the NEA and the AFT. Those entities that are producing Marxist, violent mobsters, like our colleges and universities. Those entities that are attacking our liberty, our unalienable rights, our property rights, like the degrowthers dressed up as, ooh, Green New Dealers and so forth. And that's just one of the things we need to do when it comes to a BDS movement. So you can see they'll do anything. And then I'm going to move on to the next story, which gives you another example of how they operate. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. what I said about the BDS movement it's, it can be very potent it's a very vicious form of attack because they use it for anti-Semitic purposes obviously we would not do that as I point out no doubt the boycott divestment and sanctions or BDS movement sounds familiar it has been used to try to economically destroy the state of Israel by its extremist enemies the operational elements of this movement however can be adopted by American patriots against corporations other organizations, donors, etc., who are funding or otherwise supporting Marxist movements in our own country. Boycotts. Boycotts involve withdrawing support for corporate media, big tech, other corporations, Hollywood, sporting, cultural, and academic institutions engaged in promoting American Marxism in its various movements. Now, as a perfect example, the company that owns Ben & Jerry's, what was it, Mr. Producer? I mentioned it earlier. I'm trying to find it. Unilever. Ladies and gentlemen, we ought to determine what products Unilever is selling in the United States and not purchase them. We need to hurt their bottom line. We can boycott, divest, and sanction too. It's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Divestment. Campaigns pressure banks, corporations, local and state governments, religious institutions pension funds, etc., to withdraw investments in and support for the various Marxist movements. Sanctions campaigns 
pressure local and state governments to end taxpayer subsidies and other forms of support for institutions with ties to these various Marxist movements and policies. Now, for instance, people who want to get involved in this should find out when Unilever has its public shareholder meetings and attend in mass. Organize meetings, go there, and make yourselves heard. And there are other arguments, too, in the book, obviously. Not just that. It's a perfect example, though. But the people we're up against are very vicious. Very, very vicious. Here's another example. This broke about an hour or two ago. Associated to press. The chair of former President Donald Trump's 2017 inaugural committee was arrested today on charges alleging he conspired to influence Trump's foreign policy positions to benefit the United Arab Emirates and commit crimes striking at the very heart of our democracy. Now, what crimes did he commit striking at the very heart of our democracy? Well, let's find out what they're talking about here. He's charged with conspiracy, obstruction of justice, and making multiple false statements during a June 2019 interview. So, so far, those are what? Those aren't substantive crimes the way we talk about it, right? Obstruction, multiple false statements, conspiracy. We used to call those process crimes. During a June 2019 interview with federal law enforcement agents. So in other words, if they hadn't interviewed him, none of these crimes would have been committed or alleged. Also charged in a seven-count indictment in Brooklyn Federal Court of Matthew Grimes, of Aspen, Colorado, Rashid Sultan, Rashid, uh, whatever, whatever, 43 of the United Arab Emirates. So what did they do that struck at the heart of democracy, ladies and gentlemen? What did this Donald Trump supporter do? Quote, the defendants repeatedly capitalized on Barack's friendships and access to a candidate who was eventually elected president, high-ranking campaign and government officials, and the American media to advance the policy goals of a foreign government without disclosing their true allegiances. Do you hear this, Mr. Producer? He... They, he he was promoting the interests of the United Arab Emirates without disclosing his true allegiances to the United States government? Oh my God, you could round up almost every Democrat in, in Washington D.C. What, what does this mean? The ambiguity is unbelievable. I want to return to this in a moment. We'll be right back. Radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now, 877-381-3811. All right, let's take a look at this again. So this gentleman uh, was in charge of uh, President Trump's 2017 inaugural. Last name is Barack. He uh, is charged with, quote, conspiracy obstruction of justice and making multiple false statements during a June 2019 interview with federal law enforcement agents. What did he do? So that's how they catch you. That's why when you watch these TV shows and lawyers say, don't talk to them and don't do that, don't talk to them. Because this is what's going to happen to you. The defendants repeatedly capitalized on Barack's friendships and access to a candidate who was eventually elected president. 
high-ranking campaign and government officials and the American media to advance the policy goals of a foreign government without disclosing their true allegations. Excuse me, their true allegiances. I don't understand this. Are they saying that this gentleman had an allegiance to the UAE over the United States and he was conspiring with the UAE against the United States? That's not the allegation, right, mister? That's not what it says. Maybe he has some kind of tie to the UAE? Ethnic tie, religious tie, friends over there? Who cares? So you're charging him because he's talking to the president and other high officials in the administration? Promoting positions that the UAE could support or would, would, or would propose without revealing his true allegiances? You mean he, he cut his allegiance to the United States? None of this makes sense. None of it makes sense. I don't even know this man. Prosecutors said Barack not only agreed to promote UAE foreign policy interests through his unique access and influence, like what? but also provided UAE government, just watch, listen how carefully this is written, but also provide UAE government officials with sensitive information about developments within the Trump administration, including how senior U.S. officials felt about the Qatari blockade conducted by the UAE and other Middle Eastern countries. So what? This guy's not like head of the CIA or the NSA or the National Security Advisor. He's friends with the president. He knows people in the administration. He's talking to them, pressing policies that he thinks the UAE will support, or that he supports, that the UAE supports. So what? Well, he didn't reveal that his true allegiance was to the UAE. Well, how do you know his true allegiance was to the UAE? And not only he provided sensitive information, notice they don't say... Confidential information, top secret information, classified information, nothing. What is the crime here, Mr. Producer? Quote, worse in his communications with Al Malik, the defendant, whoever that is. Oh, he's one of the uh, other defendants. The defendant framed his efforts to obtain an official position with the administration as one that would enable him to further advance the interests of the UAE rather than the interests of the United States, the prosecutors wrote. But he never got the position. He never got the position. I mean, as best as I can tell from this very poorly written article. So what did he do exactly? What did he do exactly? Well, shouldn't Talib be arrested under these circumstances, Mr. Producer? Isn't she an agent for the Palestinian Authority and Hamas? I'm saying you look at the flimsiness of this. This man was arrested today. And a spokesperson for him said, not only is he pleading not guilty, Mr. Barack has made himself voluntarily available to investigators from the outset. He was due to appear at an initial appearance in federal court in Southern California where prosecutors were to ask a U.S. magistrate to bring him into New York. 
Noting that Forbes estimates his worth at $1 billion and his access to a private plane, prosecutors called him an extremely wealthy and powerful individual with substantial ties to Lebanon, the UAE, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, who poses a serious flight risk in a letter filed prior to his appearance. So they want him held in jail without bail. For what? I'm not a special pleader for this guy. I never heard of him before. I'm just reading this. In his release, Lesko characterized the alleged content as nothing short of a betrayal of those officials in the United States, including the former president. And you'll listen to crap like this. And, of course, every single one of you are thinking of Hunter Biden. Aren't you, Mr. Producer? Every single one of you are thinking of Hunter Biden, the emails, the laptop, the texts, the money, 10% for the big guy, how they protect the Bidens, particularly Joe Biden from his own son. You read this, you shake your head and say, well, what the hell exactly did the guy do? He likes the UAE, he's promoting the UAE to the United States government, to the President of the United States. That's a crime? I mean, that's what I'm reading. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden's on the payroll of a a state energy company in the Ukraine. He's getting paid off by other foreign governments. We have him dead to rights with a laptop, contemporaneous emails and other information, and nothing, absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, our media cover it up. Big tech covers it up. Joe Biden claims he doesn't know a damn thing. We now have more and more information that he was in various meetings with Hunter when Hunter was meeting with foreign officials. No charges. I mean, I could take this language from this article and apply it to Hunter Biden and understate by a factor of a thousand what Hunter Biden's been doing compared to this man who's now been charged for crying out loud. Okay, where am I going with this? You see how relentless they are. They will do anything they can. Look how they're trying to take out anyone associated with Donald Trump. Anybody associated with Donald Trump. The complete lack of true, what is it, equity when it comes to justice. And then you look at the situation in New York, New York. With the radical left-wing in my view, unethical district attorney in Manhattan, Vance, charges the CFO of the Trump companies with some minor tax issues, and they add them up. See, it's $3 million using a car. He didn't report that. And a few other goodies that they get as corporate executives. Every corporate executive in this country, you better go back and amend your tax returns. Normally what the IRS does is slap you on the hands, they could pay interest and a penalty. They don't, you're not charged. You're not indicted. And then you have this Letitia What's-Her-Ass, the Attorney General of New York, who runs for office, saying she wants to take down Donald Trump, that she will use her office. Not only doesn't she recuse herself, she's not disbarred, nothing. Nothing. And then Rudy Giuliani, his law license is temporarily suspended because the New York lawyers and and others there, judges, didn't like the way he represented his client during the last election. 
And then Washington, D.C., not to be outdone, says, well, we're going to have to do it too because he has a law license here until that's resolved. Incredible. While we don't control the criminal justice system, while we don't control the bar of this city or that city, we have tools, we have strategies, we have tactics that we can institute in your own neighborhoods and communities, affecting your own schools, affecting the businesses uh, that you support just by living your lives, what you purchase. There are things that we can do, things that we have to do. And I started talking about them last week uh, in the last chapter of the book, and I'll pick up again tomorrow on some of that as well. But it's not enough for us to wring our hands about these injustices, of which there are many, and they are piling up. And this is what happens when a republic turns into a regime. When a classroom turns into an indoctrination mill. When a border ceases to exist. When they try and kill the golden goose who lays the golden eggs of capitalism and productivity and wealth creation and opportunity. And replace it. And replace it. With a wolf. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. And so you see that they will do anything. I'm reading some comments, and it's really a very, very small minority of people. I read them on one of my favorite websites, Right Scoop, and other places. And people will get on and they'll simply say, Well, right, right, what is this Levin? This is a comment. He's just going to the bank. What is this? this? And, uh, folks, these people are going to destroy us. The cynics who sit on their hands and spew their stupidity and have done nothing. They're the ones you have to watch out for, even more than the left. They will drag you down, they will dispirit you, and they will mock you. And yet they claim to be a patriot. Ignore them. They're not patriots, they're a-holes. Stay away from them. There are among the millions and millions of you, heroes. Heroes. People who are courageous. We're not asking you or I'm not asking you, to do anything I haven't done and wouldn't do. You're just protecting your own society. You're protecting your own children's education. You're protecting your own communities from decisions that are made out of the White House, about the border, about law enforcement. You're protecting your unalienable rights. We don't preach violence here. The Marxists do, and they do it on our dime in our schools, believe it or not. Black Lives Matter does, and it's celebrated by the NBA, the NFL, by the media, by mayors. It's a shocking thing. It's a shocking thing. 
But tomorrow I'm going to provide you with some information that I think is going to really encourage you. Really, really encourage you. And it's going to shock. It's going to shock our opponents, a.k.a. our adversaries. No, our enemies. It's going to shock them. And they won't know what to do, to attack or to be silent. To attack or be silent. doesn't much matter. Remember what I said. We don't define ourselves through them, and we don't accept their narratives. We make our own. We make our own. I also want to thank you because there are several Trump-hating books, which means they hate you too, that are in the top five or ten over on Amazon. There's one in particular being pushed very, very hard by the Washington Compost. There's two Washington Compost reporters. It's filled with attacks on former President Trump. But you folks have made American Marxism number one on Amazon.com for the last, I don't know, many, many days, but two days in a row. And they're going to do everything they can to topple it. And I'm going to do everything I can to encourage as many people as I can to read it. To read it. Don't use it as a doorstop. Please read it. Take your time. One page at a time. One chapter at a time. Tomorrow's a big day, ladies and gentlemen, for another reason. Schumer sets up tomorrow for a vote in which he wants to use a $3.5 trillion spending bill, which he wants to violate the budget reconciliation process to provide broad amnesty, to change the American voting system, to spend another $3.5 trillion, and to do all kinds of things, create a massive new welfare state on top of the existing massive new welfare state, and drive inflation further through the roof so the gasoline prices you're paying, the food prices you're paying, even if you go through a fast food drive-in now, all the prices you're paying are going to go through the roof. They are going to unleash the hell that is inflation and potentially deflation. And that's what brought down the Weimar Republic in a number of countries. You can't keep doing this. And they don't care. They are out of control. They are power hungry. They are not moored to our civil society. They are not moored to our constitutional system unless they think it can serve their purposes. Every single Republican, my understanding is, is going to fight this, whether in the House or the Senate. But here's what's worrisome. Even if we win this battle, there will be a future election one day, one cycle, where they have a majority in the Senate, Mr. Producer. Where it won't be a 50-50 vote. With the vice president vacating the vote. And so they will have more opportunities to destroy the filibuster rule with the so-called nuclear option. We can't win every single election. And yet we have to win every single election if we're to stop them at that level. Don't get me wrong with the Republicans, you understand. But to stop them from destroying certain traditional aspects of how we govern ourselves. So it's a big event tomorrow. We're going to be monitoring this very, very carefully. And then we'll see how Mansion and Cinema. We'll see. We'll see how great those two are. I'll be right back.
here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 Now, Let's take aim at the so-called environmental movement. And like most of these movements, they're born overseas. And you have people who join them who, who believe the propaganda. Um, and that's one of the reasons we have to cut through the surface. So the so-called environmental movement of the 1970s has devolved into another avenue to attack American constitutional republicanism and, of course, capitalism. From clean air and clean water to global cooling, warming, climate change, the goal of many of the leading intellectuals behind this effort has been the introduction of Marxist thinking and objectives through the guise of environmentalism as the Green New Deal, which promotes economic regression radical egalitarianism, and autocratic rule. But the movement has expanded well beyond that to include virtually every programmatic and agenda-driven goal of the American Marxists, which has been embraced to one degree or another by the Democratic Party, among others. And the environmental movement has developed numerous areas of overlap with the other Marxist-centric ideologies and movements, such as critical race theory, via something called environmental justice, which declares the existence of environmental racism, targeting minority communities. And Joe Biden signed a number of executive orders to quote-unquote address this. Some of the movement's masterminds insist that Marxism does not go far enough in establishing their degrowth utopianism as they imagine life in a perpetual state of nature where productivity, growth, and material acquisition are toxic to the human spirit. Of course, in the end, it all involves a form of repression and autocracy. At the, co- at the core of this mind-numbing, amalgamated, Marxist-centric or Marxist-like crusade is the degrowth movement. The degrowth movement. Mankind consumes and produces too much, you see, and the blame resides with capitalism in America. Again, there are a variety of movements within movements targeting one or another approach, but there are basic tenets. The best way to explain this is to expose what certain of its leading advocates have to say. In their essay, What is Degrowth? From an activist slogan to a social movement, leading degrowthers, Frederico de Maria, Francois Schneider, Filka Sukalava, and Joan Martin Allaire, sounds like a fiction almost, write that degrowth was launched in the beginning of the 21st century as a project of voluntary societal shrinking of production and consumption, aimed at social and ecological sustainability. It quickly became a slogan against economic growth and developed into a social movement. This is them. Unlike sustainable development, which is a concept based on false consensus, degrowth does not aspire to be adopted as a common goal by the UN or anybody else. The idea of socially sustainable degrowth or simply degrowth was born as a proposal for radical change. So the contemporary context of neoliberal capitalism appears as a post-political condition, meaning 
a political formation that forecloses the political and prevents the politicization of particular demands. So in other words, like most Marxists, there's no halfway measures here. What do you mean sustainable growth? We are degrowth, not just no growth, degrowth. Pipelines and everything else. Within this context, degrowth is an attempt to repoliticize the debate, a much-needed socio-ecological transformation, I'm quoting them, affirming dissidents with the current world representations and search for alternative ones. Degrowth challenges the idea of green growth or green economy and the associated (coughs) belief in economic growth as a desirable path and political agendas. They say degrowth is not just an economic concept. It is a frame constituted by a large array of concerns, goals, strategies, and actions. In other words, they're Marxists. But they're actually even, ready, worse than Marxists. Because they believe in shrinking the economy. Shrinking it. As a result, degrowth has now become a confluence point there, right, where streams of critical ideas and political action converge. And as I point out now, so the goal is to reverse the massive economic progress resulting from, among, among other things, the Industrial Revolution, which created a huge, vibrant middle class and infinite technological, scientific, medical advances that have overwhelmingly improved the human condition. The quartet continues. Degrowth has evolved into an interpretive frame for a social movement, understood as the mechanism through which actors engage in collective action. For instance, anti-car and anti-advertising activists, cyclists and pedestrian rights campaigners, partisans of organic agriculture, critics of urban sprawl, and promoters of solar energy and local currencies have started seeing degrowth as an appropriate common representative framework for their worldview. So this social movement envisioned by these utopians would drag America into a regressive, impoverished society with widespread economic and social dislocation. That is, a pre-industrialized environment where progress comes to an end, for that is the goal. Anti-car is anti-mobility. Anti-advertising is anti-speech. Anti-modern agriculture is anti-abundant food. Anti-fossil fuel is anti-abundant energy, etc., One wonders what if scientific and medical advances, how would they be developed and broadly applied for the benefit of the general population? Like Marxism generally, this movement is based on theories and abstractions that, when forcibly applied in the real world, particularly in a widely successful and advanced society, for a result that is disastrous for the population. Moreover, experience shows that for those those among them who are famous, wealthy, and or powerful, they will continue to luxuriate in a lifestyle created by capitalism. And it goes on about this degrowth movement, which is the climate change movement. And there are other aspects of this book that we have not really focused on that are very, very important for what's coming up. We have to understand the enormity and the diversity of this force. I didn't call the book Marxism, I called it American Marxism, because it has been customized to the American system. Now, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she's a very stupid person. She's accomplished literally nothing. But she's become famous or infamous 
because she's been promoted by the media. And why do the media promote her? Because they agree with her. And because most of the hosts and journalists are just as stupid as she is. So she's on the constipated news network yesterday. And this critical race theory, why don't Republicans want to teach kids how not to be racist? See how they lie? It's the only way they can get by. They lie. They lie all the time. Cut one, go. Why don't you want our schools to teach anti-racism? Well, I do want our schools to teach anti-racism. But it would be nice if they didn't teach them how to be racists and how to hate America and lie about American history. How about teaching the truth so they can attain knowledge so they're not nitwits like you? Go ahead. Why don't Republicans want their kids to know the tradition of anti-racism in the United States. See, here's the thing. This is why it's important to read my book. Not because I wrote it. Period. Not because I wrote it. Because you'll know all about this. And you'll know a lot more than she knows. She knows nothing. Go ahead. Why are Republicans trying to ban books in this country? Why are Republicans... Uh, what? You twit? are you talking about what they're trying to do is not ban books and it's not even republicans it's people affiliated and unaffiliated with the republican party we have children in schools who've been watching and hearing what's going on nobody's banning books what they're banning or trying to ban is brainwashing is self-hate is racism go ahead to ban speech why are they trying to fire nobody's banning speech we're talking about schools now right So you can't go into a school and start flipping off people, start burning flags, uh, start using the F word left and right. But that would be banning speech. But that kind of speech should be banned, right? Well, so should racism. And maybe Ms. Ayach would like to understand what the 14th Amendment's all about, one of the post-Civil War amendments. People have a right not to be discriminated against. And so when you're trying to indoctrinate children that they should be discriminated against or other children that they should do the discriminating based purely on race, that, in my view, violates the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, equal protection, because now you're in a government facility. You can't get out of the classroom. You're forced to learn this stuff, which is hate, which is racism. Why can't people like her go away? Go ahead. Professors, why are they attacking the core roots of history in this country that strays anything beyond? What are you talking about, you idiot? What history book have you ever read? Go ahead. What we already know. In fact, you have folks like Kevin McCarthy making statements that sound like he's never even read Martin Luther King in his life. Now, this is this is very interesting. And what you'll learn from American Marxism, among many, many other things, is that the critical race theoreticians, not the clowns who are making millions off it today that didn't invent anything, 
but are sort of ambulance-chasing authors who are promoting this stuff for a buck. What you will learn is that the founder of critical race theory, like the founder of critical theory, had very little good to say about Martin Luther King or the Civil Rights Movement. Because, ladies and gentlemen, what Marx taught was socialism is the enemy of communism. Halfway measures are the enemy of communism because we cannot have the, re- the revolution and we cannot set things right when we have people who are, who are doing half measures. So we cannot succeed. The entire society must be cleansed. The entire society must be purified. It must, it must reject its history. We can't have some capitalism. We have to have no capitalism. We can't have some private property. We have to have no private property. That's why I call it American Marxism, not Marxism. That said, from Derek Bell's perspective, the inventor, if you will, the lame brain behind this, I don't call him a brain trust, critical race theory, they reject the accomplishments of Martin Luther King. People don't even realize this. The civil rights movement is nothing but an effort to appease white people. Remember this Delgado we talked about yesterday, Mr. Producer, and her book, and how she was talking about how progressive whites really, they don't really believe in equality. They don't really look at black people the right way. So you have this lifelong struggle, particularly if you're a, a white progressive, because you go through the motions, but you really don't mean it. Remember all that? Well, that's Derek Bell. That's not Delgado. That's the founder of critical race theory. That's who he is. That's what he says. And all these efforts to really try and make amends. What is the phrase they use? A racial reckoning. The only kind of racial reckoning that's that's possible under critical race theory is burning the system down, destroying it. There's no other way. And so you see, it's a Marxist movement. And they'll quote Martin Luther King, they'll do whatever they have to do to try and cover up what they're really doing. I'll be right back. Martin Now here's a headline. Proud Boys leader pleads guilty to burning Black Lives Matter banner. And I'm thinking, what the hell is this one about? Now I don't know a damn thing about Proud Boys. I read about them, you know, in the usual media. That they're a supremacist group. I don't know what to believe from the media. I have no idea what this group is. I'm not part of it. I don't promote it. But I also know the media have its favorite radical groups and groups that it hate. They hate, so I ignore them. But here's the thing. This is from AOL. The leader of the far-right Proud Boys pleaded guilty money to burning a Black Lives Matter banner taken from a historic black church during a demonstration in December. Enrique Tarrio, 37, of Miami. I understand he's a Cuban-Americano, Mr. Producer. Hardly white. Am I allowed to say that? I think I will. He was arrested on January 3rd in Washington on a warrant stemming from a December 12 incident. 
The Proud Boys and other groups marched in a raucous pro-Trump rally through downtown Washington. The banner was stolen from the Asbury United Methodist Church, one of the oldest black churches in the area. On top of the destruction of property charge, he also pleaded guilty to attempting to possess a high-capacity gun magazine, which is illegal in the city. All right, now let's stop. He burned a Black Lives Matter flag, Mr. Producer. Have you ever heard of anybody being charged with burning a flag? Private property or no private property? Did we see entire blocks burned during the riots of this past summer? People had their hats pulled off their heads. People had their cars damaged. People all kinds of stuff. Does it not strike anybody as weird? And beyond weird, that this guy is charged with burning a Black Lives Matter banner, number one. And he's also charged with, what was the other one? Attempting to possess a high-capacity gun magazine. Both charges are misdemeanors, punishable by up to six months in jail. He will be sentenced next month. We have a lot of people in Washington who are being charged with misdemeanors and being, being forced to plead. And yet murders are through the roof in Washington, D.C. Literally through the roof. So let me get this straight. I already talked about the other guy, Barack. Let's talk about this guy. I can't even pronounce it. What's it? Tario. This guy's charged with burning a Black Lives Matter flag. He's not charged with burning a church, I'd take it. Or throwing Molotov cocktails or trying to burn down a police precinct. I just want to make sure I understand this. And number two, with attempting to possess, attempting to possess a high-capacity gun magazine. Not even a gun. A high-capacity gun magazine which is illegal in the city. Is murder illegal in the city? Is carjacking illegal in the city? Is arson and larceny illegal in the city? I just want to make sure I understand what's illegal and what's actually going to be charged here in the, in the capital of the United States of America. I'm no special pleader for this guy or this group, trust me. But this is very, very absurd. I'll be right back. The pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now. 877-381-3811. The world would be such a better place if we could shut these conservative news sites and bloggers down. Then we can get all the information across to the American people without any interference, without any debate, without any misinformation or disinformation. If we could just shut down and deplatform Fox and OAN and Newsmax. If we could just shut down the Blaze and the Daily Caller and the Daily Wire and Breitbart and all the rest. If we could just shut down talk radio, just imagine the nirvana, the paradise, the emeritopia we'd be living in today. Effectively, that's what Kate Bedingfield, the White House communications director, said on the Morning Schmo Show. Cut five, go. 
It's also the other thing the president has pointed out and spoke to when he was asked about this yesterday is it's, it is also the responsibility of the people creating the content. And again, I would go back to, you know, there are conservative news outlets who are creating irresponsible content that's sharing misinformation about the, vi- about the virus that's getting shared. Ah, shut up. You, you jerk. And that president of yours and that vice president of yours, they were sharing disinformation all through the campaign. And they still are. Whether it's the voting issue, whether it's the border, whether it's taxes and spending, you're all full of crap, and you're all full of lies for that matter. You're propagandists, and you're the best at it. Just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, over and over and over again. They're the ones that pushed the Russia collusion. They're the ones who said, don't use a Trump vaccine. Are they not? So you see, ladies and gentlemen, if we could just silence the conservatives. Now, what they really mean by that is anyone who disagrees with them. I want to remind you of a few things. Those of you who listened over the years and have read some of these books I've written over the years, this is not the first administration to oppose speech and to try and take out their political enemies and criminalize politics. Woodrow Wilson was the first to create a whole propaganda machine. And he, he used a man by the name of Bernays. You know, like the, like the sauce? Anyway, his name was Bernays. He wrote a book called Propaganda. But before that, he spoke about it and he wrote about it. And Propaganda wasn't a bad word back then. And so what? And so Wilson decided to use him and some of his surrogates, propaganda for what he wanted to do in World War I, the League of Nations, race, and the rest of it. Because Wilson, one of the founding fathers of the so-called progressive movement, was a racist and a segregationist who resegregated the military. And he supported the Klan, a Democrat, a so-called progressive Franklin Roosevelt used propaganda, used the IRS, he used the FBI to intimidate, silence his opponents, and send some of them to prison. One of the greatest presidents we've ever had. Just ask the Democrat Party. Lyndon Johnson. Now I'm skipping over a few. Lyndon Johnson used the FBI, the CIA, and the IRS to go after his political enemies. And he tapped the phones of civil rights activists and other Democrats at the Democrat convention in Atlantic City. And among those phones he tapped was Martin Luther King's phone. You see, the Democrats were obsessed with King. Robert Kennedy authorized J. Edgar Hoover, who asked to go ahead and tap Martin Luther King's phone in a hotel he was staying at. Oh, it's all true. FDR used the IRS to go after a former Treasury Secretary. You may have heard of the last name, Andrew Mellon, who had worked under Coolidge. And even Henry Morgenthau tried to talk Roosevelt out of it. It was ahead of his Treasury Department because he said Mellon hadn't done anything wrong, illegal, tax-wise or otherwise. Didn't matter. John Kennedy shared IRS files with Ben Bradley. If you've read on Freedom of the press, you know this. 
At that time, he was working for Newsweek, but then he would be promoted, and he would work for the Washington Post, as you well know. Joe Biden comes out of this genre. He's been in Washington, D.C. as long as Fauci. He knows that he will be treated differently than Republicans. He knows there's the Praetorian Guard media just leak enough to them, give them what they want, mostly against Republicans and others, and they will protect you, which is exactly what's taking place. Big media, big tech. Kate Bedingfield, if we could just, these conservative outlets out there creating irresponsible content, we need to fix this. We need to fix this, ladies and gentlemen. These are people with a totalitarian mindset. And they're not the only ones. They're in the media. They're in academia. They certainly are. Mr. Producer, I have not pulled up the call screen yet. I will certainly get around to that. Uh, To whom shall I speak? WABC, Queens, New York. BJ, how are you? Doing well, Mark. Thank you for taking my call. And thank you for writing a terrific book, uh, American Marxism. Uh, Just when you're quite welcome. You have been my history professor for many years now. And uh, I just want to, you know, just when you... You've written the best book. You go out and you make me wrong, and you write an even better book. And uh, I'm calling uh, primarily because uh, I've never been more shaken up than what's going on recently um, in uh, the psyche of the country with this CRT stuff and this Black Lives Matter stuff. This is really taking over and taking hold of our universities and uh, shaking, uh, shaking people in their boots, so to speak because uh, they're not even hiding it. You know, when I was a college kid, I came uh, to play in the Reagan Revolution. We had a couple of uh, uh, faculty lounge uh, Marxists, and basically we were told to, you know, just tell them what they want in the essay questions and, you know, yes them to death, and then you'll get your paper. You can't do that anymore. And uh, we really need to push back. Now, in your book you talk about patriotic um, uh, 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 consumerism and, and patronizing those and places community and committees that, and, uh, and that sort of thing. Yep. Yes. And we also have to, we, you know, you, it was you, and I want to thank you personally, not just for one thing, but for everything, because it was you that got me involved in the first presidential campaign of my life, which was the great Donald Trump. And I've been, I've had so much fun backing these uh, conservatives and people Mm -hmm. that were moving towards conservative. I live in New York State, which is an American Marxist run by an American Marxist governor, an American Marxist mayor, with an American Marxist congresswoman. And if anyone needs to know what American Marxism looks like, all they need to do is come to New York City. And believe me, it's not pretty. I want to thank you. We need to push back in positive, respectful ways, because even if we lose... We can say that we fought. We didn't just ring up. All right, BJ, thank you. Don't hang up. We want to give you a signed copy till they run out of American Marxism. Thank you very, very much. And at some point they will. And speaking of that, for everybody who won't be at the Reagan Library on August 14th and could not go to bookends, uh, the event last Saturday on your, uh, on your Internet, I want to strongly encourage you to go to premiercollectibles.com slash Marxism. 
uh, half of the limited edition signed first edition books are gone. So the other half remain. They're not going to last long. We've done this before. You understand. And so if you're thinking of the holidays ahead or birthdays or other gifts or you just want one, uh, I would encourage you to go now. It's premiercollectibles.com slash Marxism. premiercollectibles.com slash Marxism. You know, I get people say, why do you keep talking about Because people ask me, where can I get a signed copy? I'm trying to to serve my audience. That's why. So if you want a signed copy, right now that's the best place to go. Um, There aren't many other places to get them signed. PremierCollectibles.com slash Marxism. Half of the signed first edition, limited edition copies are gone. The other half are there, but they will be gone soon. So I'm just giving you a heads up so people don't get mad at me. I'll be right back. Lovin. We have a special guest next hour, a real true American patriot and hero. You're not going to want to miss them. And also the back and forth between the Fouch and Rand Paul. We're going to get into that as well. There was a flare-up on Capitol Hill, and it's definitely worth listening to some of this. Let us go to Marianne, Leesburg, Virginia, the great WMAL. How are you? Hello, Mark. It's an honor to speak to you. Thank you. I can't believe it, but Venezuela has arrived in Leesburg, Virginia, my husband went to Costco last night here to buy five steaks, five ribeyes for his birthday, our tradition to grill for his birthday. Usually they're $40. Yesterday they were $90. Wow. We did not have ribeyes last night. It's happening. That's like almost double in price, and I'm very scared that it's just going to get worse and worse. I don't want to upset you, but it's definitely going to get worse. And you can already see it. As I say, people tell me they drive into McDonald's. You can't get anything for really maybe one meal, a small meal for five bucks. You used to be able to get a lot for five bucks. You see the cost of labor is going through the roof in order to keep people working, even low-skilled or no-skilled labor because they're competing with the federal welfare state now. Uh, that is your tax dollars, so that's driving up prices. There's shortages of items, that's driving up prices. And, of course, inflation is driving up prices. I went, also in Leesburg, uh, to a gas station called Sheets, and I went to fill up my car. And the, the premium price was unbelievable. It had shot way up, and it's not just them. I don't blame them. Uh, it's because we were energy independent prior to this man taking over and moving into the Oval Office, we're not energy independent anymore. You know, OPEC is back in action. And, of course, Russia gets their pipeline. What do you call these people if you don't call them American Marxists? What do you call them? Stupid, he's got dementia, blah, blah, blah. Come on, folks. Don't hang up, Marianne. I want to get you a copy, a signed copy of American Marxism. And I wish you all the best. Anthony, Los Angeles, California. 870 The Answer, the great KRLA. Go right ahead, Anthony. 
Hey, buddy, how you doing, Mark? Great to talk to you. You too. Hey, thanks. listen, I got a quick story to share with you. I won't take too much of your time. Um, I was in Costco here. In, I live in Friendly Hills in Whittier, California. We have a neighborhood watch meeting tonight. It's going to be in person for the first time in a long time. Great. And I, I wanted to take along some of your books, right? So I stopped by my Costco on my way home. And for the first time ever, Mark, I had, I had 10 of your books in my basket, a, a, a package of water, and a package of chips for the meeting. And the cashier has the audacity to ask me for an ID. All right, hold on a second. This I want to hear, Anthony. Don't hang up. Make sure we don't lose Anthony, okay? Mr. Bedus, you might want to take down his number. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, you folks are absolutely fantastic. I am so blessed. I really do feel like we're a big family here, that we have our national meeting here every weekday evening. I really do feel that attachment to you. I can't reach out, obviously, and speak to each one of you. It might take a little while, you know. But I can hear you, I can see you in so many ways. In so many ways. I'm attentive to this. I mean, the fact that we're number one on Amazon right now, beating out this Trump-hating book, that is you. The fact that we have 1,200, give or take, comments already on Amazon.com and five stars, that's you. The fact that we sold out the Reagan Library, and I'm going to see so many of you there, which is a great honor of mine. And I want to tell you another little secret. I pressed hard for at least two other retail outlets to allow us to do an in-person signing and they would not allow it we don't need to hide from anyone or anything I mean the nation's functioning now but they would not allow it you believe that Mr. Producer the Reagan Library did because they have a tremendous executive director and staff over there that I really, really love. They are great people. They built a wonderful library there, following millions and millions of you. Just fantastic. John Highbush, Melissa, I shouldn't have started this. So many who are just fantastic. I don't know what we would do without them. I don't know what I would do without them, frankly. They're just so easy to work with, and they make this all possible. And I know when you come there by the thousands... You appreciate it very, very much. You tell me you do. And I think those people make it just a a wonderful place to go. It's not sort of a stale museum and on and on and on. These are people who understand audiences, who understand Reaganites. And we couldn't be more appreciative here on the Mark Levin Show and the millions of you. And also the thousands of you who participate every two years. It's fantastic. 
But I want to thank you. Because as long as you're active, we will be number one on Amazon. Because you understand the import. And if you're listening for the first time or or you haven't acted, that is okay. But at least do one thing. Go to Amazon.com and read the comments on the book. Now, as I say this, the left, the notorious, vile, vicious, poisonous left, will go on there and put a bunch of negative stars. But you can tell the difference between an intelligent comment and one of theirs. It's a big difference. All right, let's do a little of this. Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci today at a Senate hearing. I thought you'd want to hear some of this because I was unable to hear it live myself, just a little busy. Cut eight, go. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied Microphone. Your microphone. Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. And I want to say that officially. You do not know what you are talking about. Let's okay, you get NIH, one person. Let's read from the NIH definition of gain of function. This is your definition that you guys wrote. It says that scientific research that increases the transmissibility among mammals is gain of function. They took animal viruses that only occur in animals and they increase their transmissibility to humans. How you can say that is not gain of function. It is not. It's a dance and you're dancing around this because you're trying to obscure responsibility for four million people dying around them from a pandemic. Wow. I'm sure he's not used to that sort of thing. He's saying, gee. Do I prefer the green room at CNN to this? Now, you know damn well if the shoe were on the other foot, they'd be bringing charges against Fauci. They refer it to the criminal division of the Justice Department and on and on and on because that's the nature of the force that we oppose. Cut nine, go. Well, now you're getting into something. If the point that you are making is that the, the, the grant that was funded as a sub-award from EcoHealth to Wuhan created SARS-CoV-2. That's where you are getting. Let me finish. We don't know. Well, we don't wait know a minute. It did I come from the lab, but all you. the evidence is pointing that it came from the lab, you, and there will be responsibility for those who funded the right. lab, including yourself. I totally This committee resent, will allow the witness to respond. I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating, Senator, because if you look at the viruses that were used in the experiments that were given in the annual reports that were published in the literature, it is molecularly impossible. No one's saying those it, viruses it is, caused it. it no is one is molecularly those viruses caused the pandemic. What we're alleging is that gain-of-function research was going on in that lab, and NIH funded it. That you is can't not get away from it. It meets your definition, and you are obfuscating the truth. I'm not obfuscating the truth. You are the one. Time is expired, but I will allow the witness to. Let me just finish. I want everyone to understand that if you look at those viruses. And that's judged by qualified virologists and evolutionary biologists. 
those viruses are molecularly impossible no one's to result they are. No in SARS-CoV-2. Cause the pandemic. We're saying they are gain-of-function yeah. viruses because they were They're animal not. viruses that became more transmissible in human, and you funded it. And you, you admit the truth. And you implying, Senator Paul, your time has expired, and I will allow witnesses right. who come before this committee to respond. Oh, aren't and, you swell? Which one is she again? Kolobitra. By the way, she's another one. Like our great vice president. Our great vice president, the birthing person of vice president, and this birthing person, isn't it swell? She, Klobuchar, is also said to abuse her staff, just like Kamala. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Media wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, come on, no. Can't do that. We've we, we got all these lies we're busy telling about uh, Kavanaugh and so forth. We can't be diverted here. We're busy. Go ahead implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual I totally resent that and if anybody is lying here senator it is you oh goodness how do you like that how do you like that so he is playing semantical games Nobody's saying that they actually funded the exact viral condition that leaked from the lab and resulted in the death of millions. What he's saying and what I was saying and my guest was saying, Life, Liberty, and Levin was, these are the activities in part that are being funded by his department with monies that flowed through this nonprofit group in New York. And part of those monies went to that lab for the purpose of creating the gain of function. We know this as a fact. It's in the grant. Notice Amy Klobuchar didn't want to know beans. She didn't want to know anything. The Democrats never want to know anything. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. All right, I didn't forget about Anthony in California. 870 The Answer, where we are live and national, the great KRLA. So, Anthony, start over. What happened? Hey, Mark. So I was, on, I was at Costco, my local Costco here, like I was saying. I have a neighborhood watch meeting tonight, and I wanted to hand out your books, right? I'm a huge fan, huge fan. Thank you. So I, buy, um, I got 10, 10 books in my basket. I got a package of water, and I got a little box of chips so I can take to the meeting. So I get up to the register, and the cashier asked me for an ID. They scanned my Costco card, right, my executive membership card, and then she has the audacity to ask me for an ID. Why? I said, why? Uh, exactly. Why? They made me feel like a criminal, Mark. And, uh, you know, it, it dawned on me why, and I asked her, is it because of the books? And she's, oh, no, 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 it's our policy. Mark, I, well, I've been shopping in Costco forever, Mark. I've never been asked for an ID. You know? I've never been asked for an ID. I slip in there to get one of those hot dogs all the time. Exactly, exactly. It was strange. We're out here in Los Angeles, but, you know, we we love you, man. And it, it, I, I wanted you to hear about this story. I was absolutely a, a, amazed by what had happened, you know. This, this is not right, man. I, I want to thank and you. I, there's no doubt in my mind it was because of your books. Well, I, I, I want to thank you for doing what you're doing with your community now. 
And did you get the books, or did they stop you from taking the books? I assume they let you get the oh, books. No. Oh, no, sir. No, no, I got the books. No, they were, they were, yeah, I got the books. I'm an executive member there at Costco, so I went ahead and, you know, finished my purchase. But I was really upset. I, I called corporate filing a complaint and stuff like that. And uh, But I, I do I, have to tell you, Anthony, they have been so far good to us. They have ordered a significant number. I don't know what was going on with that cashier there exactly. or that particular yeah, we, Costco. We, we, Costco Park, we're, I got three little kids here at home and the wife, and we're always in Costco. Yeah, uh, not, nothing, nothing personal. It's Costco. So you buy the twenty-five pounds of grapes all the time. I'm just messing with you. Oh yeah, you can't buy anything small there. You got to buy a lot of everything. Exactly. That's why. That's why I, went, I knew where to go to buy a lot of your books. <laughs> Thank you. Take care of yourself. Oh, wait, don't hang up, Anthony. We'll send you a signed one. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate it very much. What a what a patriot. Let us continue. Dan, Little Rock, Arkansas, the great K-A-R-N. Dan, how are you? I'm good, Mark. How are you doing tonight? Very well, thank you. Yeah, I I just wanted to call and and tell you a little bit about my background. I I worked about 25 years as a photojournalist, a cameraman. You know, I was behind the scenes. I worked with lots of reporters throughout the United States, Atlanta, uh, all the way down to Florida, all the way up towards Chicago. And and uh, over the past, uh, I, I, I walked away from it in November of last year, um, and a lot of it had to do with uh, I, I got to the point where I was completely fed up with uh, a lot of my stories, especially as a one-man band. You know, they'd send me out on a story, political story. Uh, I'd go out, I'd go out and get some B-roll, and then I'd get a sound bite from a, a politician take it back to the studio or to the, the reporter who was doing the story, and then they would chop that story up. And, you know, when it aired, I'm, I'm scratching my head thinking, now, wait a minute. That is not what was said. That mm-hmm. is not how that uh, politician answered that. And it was all towards uh, the Republican side. They never picked on me on the left. You know, the left, they, they built them up like they were uh, – kings and queens, but any time it had anything to do with uh, pro-conservative, boy, did they ever cut that down to make them sound like either radical psychos. And then I'm scratching my head thinking, I've got to face this person again. They you are know? so yeah. they are so damn corrupt. They are so they would love nothing more than to take me down. Let me let me let me tell you this, Dan. And after the news comes out tomorrow evening about this book and what you folks have been doing they will try that i'm convinced and we will fight back it's not going to happen but they are utterly corrupt um they are so thoroughly intellectually dishonest as they push their agendas in this country they've done enormous damage to the first amendment freedom of the press and you look at these people they've contributed nothing to this country you look at a chuck todd or george stephanopoulos all takers all takers. You look at uh, Don Lemon and and Chris Cuomo and the rest of them. Really, really, just reprobates. They know exactly what they're doing. They are your quintessential propagandists and demagogues. Dan, don't hang up. We want to send you a signed copy of American Marxism as well. Thank you, my friend. Ken, Naples, Florida, the great WFSX. Go. Yes, sir. Hi, Mark. I wanted to let you know that I agree with your premise, premise that, uh, that you had on the show the other night, that we need to galvanize the people who believe in this country. I also agree that the left is trying to divide us. 
Mm-hmm. But I don't see the division. When I go to, to get my groceries, I'm in a melting pot of people. They hold the door for each other. They say hello to each other. They say thank you. They treat each other with respect. I think well, there's need- no question that that goes on throughout the country. But there's also no question that your eyes are not lying, that, uh, that they have, in fact, inflamed uh, racial divisions in this country. And we saw a lot of it all summer long. And so if your, your finer point is, if your finer point is we would all get along very, very well, or the vast majority of us, but for these Marxist movements, that is absolutely correct. And, and that is what I'm saying. But I also believe that there's a way to galvanize around a theme. And there's a word in the Pledge of Allegiance that we can use to create that groundswell. And I think that word is indivisible. Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. This movement can't be about cheerleading and galvanizing around a word, indivisible. We've got to take concrete, tangible steps. We can't just be happy with words and things like that and feel like we've done something. We've done nothing. It's going to take a lot more to deal with these forces that have aligned against this country than saying we're indivisible, we're indivisible. I saw a friend of mine on TV the other day, very Pollyannish, that I feel very positive about this. I don't care how people feel. There are things we must do. Things are taking place in our country right now. And they are hoping that we stand by bumper stickers and all the rest. We must not take our language back, yes, but it has to be backed up with action. The Tea Party took action. People take action. I'm talking about the most recent Tea Party. You can't fight American Marxism with, uh, with, with, with bumper stickers. It's not going to work. I want to thank you for your call, my friend, and I want to send you a copy of American Marxism. I am serious. People say, what can we do? We rally around a word indivisible? What is that going to do? We might as well rally around the campfire, right, Mr. Producer? I'm not opposed to using good words and having good speeches and so forth. But that's not the same thing of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. You want to hear speeches? Listen to politicians. You want to hear speeches? Go to conventions. But things are happening to our children in our classrooms. Things are happening at our universities. Things are happening on the border. There's a war against our economic system. They're trying to undermine our constitutional system. They know the word indivisible is in the Declaration of Independence. There's nothing. We've got, we've got to get our fingernail, dirt under our fingernails and so forth. And it won't be that hard. And it won't take that much time. I promise you. At least consider what I'm saying. I'll be right back. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. I have a special guest, and you're going to know why this gentleman is special in just a few minutes. His name is Eli Crane. Eli is running in the 1st Congressional District in Arizona to unseat a Democrat, a leftist by the name of Tom O'Halloran. A-H, who cares how you spell it, it's A-O, but who cares. Eli Crane, how are you, sir? Hey, Mark, thank you so much for having me on. I've been a long-time fan. Well, thank you very, very much. Tell the American people a little bit about your background. 
Thank you, Mark. So I started out um, by joining the Navy the week after 9-11. Like many Americans, I was pretty uh, pretty angry about what happened, that attack on our country, and I wanted to serve and go fight for those that couldn't fight for themselves and just take the fight to our enemies overseas. So I did that. I spent 13 years in the Navy. I did uh, five deployments. Three of them was SEAL Team 3 as a Navy SEAL. And then after that, uh, my wife and I started a small business out of our one-car garage in Point Loma, San Diego, and we turned that into a multi-million dollar brand wow. um, just through hard work, determination, uh, making our products in the USA, hiring veterans, and uh, loving everything that you all stand for on this show. And, you know, now I'm so I'm so distraught and I'm so worried about this country and everything that I see going on. I'm worried if we don't get men and women who are willing to die for it in the first place to throw their hat back in the ring and run for school boards, you know, state Congress, federal Congress and everything else in the world. Um, this country that I know and love and got to grow up with the American dream and is not going to be there for my kids and the next generations. And that is unacceptable to me. And I could not agree more. And here you've already done multiple tours. Um, you are a, a great American. You're a red-blooded Yank. And um, you have fought and served for your country. You have demonstrated what the American dream is all about. You came back and become mildly wealthy. And now you want to run for the House of Representatives in order to protect our liberties there. Tell us about your opponent in this district. Is it a marginal district? Is it a Democrat or Republican district? It's definitely a district we can flip. Right now, I think it's R plus one. And Tom O'Halloran voted with Nancy Pelosi 96% of the time. And that's something that really just doesn't represent Arizonans. And Trump took this district in uh, 2016. The last opponent that faced Tom barely lost by 3%. I'm, I'm confident we can flip it. I know Arizona's won a fighter, and I'm willing to go and be that guy. I'm willing to go throw myself on this, you know, at this challenge because it's that important. Now, as a Republican primary, and you're battling in the primary? Yes, sir. We we are battling in the primary. We have some candidates that we're going to have to defeat first. Um, thankfully, my whole life has been filled with overcoming adversity in the SEAL teams and then in business as well. I didn't have a fancy MBA. Uh, we started in a one-car garage with a Dremel tool, some spray paint, and a computer. And so I'm really not too worried about the competition. I'm more worried about myself, my posture, and that I don't become something that I hate in this process, and that's a politician. So you're running in the Republican primary. When is that election? That is in August, sir. But I'm sure you have early voting in the primaries, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Some, st- well, some states they do. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to need all the help that we can get. You know, I would love for your listeners, Mark, because I know you have a lot of patriotic listeners, to go to um, eliforarizona.com, learn more about our campaign, learn more about our race, learn more about the issues um, that Arizonans are facing. And the great thing is the issues that are affecting Arizonans are the big issues that everybody around this country is facing. And so, like I said, we got to get some fighters in involved in Congress ASAP who have courage and character. Well, I want to endorse you in the Republican primary and the general election, should you muscle your way out of that primary. And what is the site again where people should go? Yes, sir. Thank you for that, Mark. 
um, the site is eliforarizona.com. We won't be able to do this alone. We really appreciate any help. Um, I, I'm tired of watching Republicans and conservatives act like somebody's coming to save us. We've got to do this ourselves. It's we, mm-hmm. the people. This government is for us, by us, and we have to get off our tails and we have to get involved in this fight. We owe it to the next generation. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate it. Well, you're the kind of representative we need. And if we had a bunch of you guys and gals in the House of Representatives, I think we'd be in such fantastic shape. So I'm going to support Eli Crane in the Republican primary and in the general election. I mean, after all, he supports us. And he's sacrificed for us. And he's, he's taught everybody how you can come back have little or nothing, become very successful, and now he wants to serve us in the House. And you've earned it, my friend. Thank you so much, sir. I really appreciate your support. That means a ton to me. Well, God bless you, Eli, and thanks for everything you've done for this country and what you are going to do for this country. You take care of yourself. Yes, sir. God bless you guys. Thank you, Mark. You too. I don't sit on the sidelines. When I hear a great candidate, that's it. Now, this is breaking from just the news. Shades of Clinton, Joe Biden used private email to send government information to Hunter. You hear this? Emails on laptops seized by FBI show State Department information flowing from the vice president at the time, Biden, to his son regarding the release of American prisoner. Now, they just indicted this guy who was in charge of the inauguration Uh, in 2017 for President Trump. Right, Mr. Producer? On these nebulous terms and arguments that he was kind of representing the UAA and kind of using his connections to promote them. Well, who cares? Kind of this, kind of... Here we have this. Biden used a personal email account, mind you, of uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton during the Obama years, to send information he was getting from the State Department as vice president to his globetrotting, foreign deal-making son, Hunter Biden. Now, will they be indicting Joe or Hunter Biden over there? I am damn serious about this, and I'm sick and tired of it. Picking off American citizens who don't do crap to deserve the criminal justice system coming down on their heads and destroying their families and their lives. This Trump CFO in New York, This other guy I just talked about in the first hour, the hell did they do to deserve this kind of treatment in the United States of America? Here we have this corrupt, crooked family, the Biden family, that contributes nothing to this country. Joe doesn't, and this creepy SOB son of his. And there they are again, using his office to enrich his son. And of course, not himself. Just because he's worth millions and millions and has these homes around Delaware and so forth, what do you expect? He was a senator. In a communications backdoor reminiscent of Hillary Clinton's infamous private server, President Biden used a personal email account during the Obama years to send information he was getting from the State Department as vice president to his globe-trotting, foreign-deal-making son, Hunter Biden. Now, if the Republicans controlled the House of the Senate, they'd be able to look into this. The Democrat Party's going to cover it up. CNN and MSNBC, cover it up. The New York Times, Washington Post, don't give a you-know-what. Neither do the networks. This corrupt, filthy, poisonous, American-destroying administration. 
messages, sometimes signed dad, from the email account, robinware456 at gmail.com, were found on Hunter Biden's laptop seized by the FBI in December 2019 from a Delaware computer shop owner. Hey, don't tell Twitter, don't tell Facebook, they don't want to hear it. Don't tell Joy Reid, don't tell The View, and the Yenta's there, they don't want to hear it. How about you, Jake Fake Tapper? Have you tapped out? Yes, you have. You know it. And what about Andrea Mitchell? Andrea Mitchell. Where's Andrea Mitchell? Or Jeremy Barr. Where's Jeremy Barr, Mr. Producer? We heard from Jeremy Barr lately? I have some questions I would like to ask. Shut up, you pimple-faced little puke. Where were we? Some of the messages from the vice president to his son obtained by Just the News were deeply personal, others were political in nature, and still others clearly addressed business matters, often forwarding information coming from senior officials in the White House, the State Department, and other government agencies. Okay, is the U.S. Attorney's Office who indicted Mr. Barack today, are they now going to issue indictments against the Biden family? How about it, you jerks? Are you going to do it or not? For instance, in late November 2014, the U.S. Embassy in Istanbul sent an email to the State Department that was then forwarded to senior advisors to Joe Biden, including national security expert Michael Carpenter, providing an early alert that an American named Martin O'Connor was about to be released from detention in Turkey. The lead attorney for Mr. O'Connor reports that the court granted the detention appeal and he expected Mr. O'Connor to be released from the jail today, barring any unforeseen problems, quote-unquote. The U.S. Embassy in Istanbul wrote in an email that got forwarded to top Obama administration security and diplomacy officials, including current Undersecretary of State Victoria Newland. Loser. Mr. O'Connor will not be allowed to leave the country until his next hearing, which is set for December 11, 2014. The lawyer expressed confidence he will be able to leave after that hearing. The attorney is handling his release and so forth. State Department officials forwarded the information at the vice president's office where Biden aide Colin Call, now President Biden's undersecretary of defense for policy, sent it to Joe Biden's private email. The vice president then sent it to his son, Hunter Biden, with a subject line forward, Mr. O'Connor being released from detention today. Now, why would he tell his son that? Former senior Obama official confirmed to Just the News that some administration officials knew of the RobinWare456 at gmail.com email address for Joe Biden and used it from time to time. And the emails obtained by Just the News show numerous Obama administration officials communicated or were aware of the private email address or had their information sent to You know, people are going to jail now for, for jaywalking and trespassing, right, Mr. Producer? Well, when you're using your private email for the purpose of getting around the, the various laws in our country, including the, the, uh, the Presidential Records Act, which includes vice presidential records and records of the administration, seems to me that that's a little bit more than jaywalking. That's, that's kind of like carjacking. Now, let's see equal justice in America, huh? Now, you won't see it. You won't see it. Let's see what Jeff Tubin says with his pants on or off. Let's see what Dana Dash, Bash, whatever the hell. Whoa. Let's see what she has to say. Freak show on CNN and a freak show on MSNBC. 
you and I, we know what the hell is going on in this country. We know what's going on. And we're going to push back. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let's jump in. Ralph, Glen Cove, New York, the great WABC. Ralph, how are you, sir? Mark, how are you? How are you going? Uh, everything is good? Um, well, I, I I'm doing great. The country's gone to hell, but nonetheless, go right ahead. I have a um, – so uh, we always talk about the kids in school and um, how they're trying to teach them what's bad about America. So when it comes down to it, when, when it was time to do a book report – we chose Unfreedom of the Press. Mm-hmm. And what we were told is you can't do that book because it's a propaganda book. Who so told you that? When I saw uh, the school. That Unfreedom of the Press is a propaganda book. Can't right. use um, any books like that. So when I, when I, I remember when... Um, Should have brought when, in the book White Fragility. I'm sure they would have been uh, all excited about it. One of the books that were used was Becoming. The coming? So was that, yes. The, who was that? Michelle Obama's book? Yes. That book was used. So now how is that not propaganda? Obviously. And I bet she didn't even write the damn thing. That's just my guess. Yeah, well, uh, may I, I don't want to get anyone in trouble. May I ask you what school this is? What school district? No, I really... I, All right, good. I, I, I want you to cover your, your tracks. That's Okay. But there you go, some kind of academic freedom, huh? I don't preach hate. I don't preach uh, violence. I don't preach racism. Uh, that book was a, uh, was a rather significant book on the nature of the media in America. They hate my guts. That's what it is. Let's just be honest. They hate me. And the feeling's mutual. All right, don't hang up. We want to send you a copy, a signed edition of American Marxism. Here's what you folks should really do. You should send your kids into the schools with copies of American Marxism. They'll be more afraid of the name Levin than they will Marxism. You know what I mean, Mr. Producer? (laughs) We shall overcome one day. Camille! Vernal, is that? Vernal, Utah, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Um... I just wanted to comment on your book. It is incredibly enlightening, and I thank you you for all the research and everything that you put into it and all that you do. God bless you all for being on radio and sticking with us and actually giving us real news because I am terrified of everything that's going on. And I don't blame you. I couldn't imagine not having, like, an actual source of honesty like, like you provide us, and thank you for that. You're very, very kind. And you know what? I I, I told the uh, publisher today how honored I am of how positive the reaction has been on Amazon and elsewhere because the book takes time you got to go page by page chapter by chapter but I feel it's worthwhile I really do and I and I feel it can make a difference and I think it will tune in tomorrow I've got some big news to report and don't hang up Camille we're going to send you a signed copy God bless each and one of you I appreciate all you heroes out there I'm blessed the whole country's blessed to have you I'll see you tomorrow. Be well.